Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find over four separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to welcome uh, and introduce our speaker for tonight, Aaron. Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm a, uh, hi, I'm Aaron. I'm a compulsive overeater and a hundred pounder. Hi, Aaron. Uh, thank you very much for asking me to speak this evening. Ed. Uh, I don't think I even had time to say the serenity prayer to myself. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Amen. Um, Hi. Uh, full disclosure, uh, one of the requirements for speaking at Light a Candle is that you have completed all 12 steps and that you have over a year of abstinence. I have two years of abstinence, but I am on my eighth step. Um, I think this was a requirement that was a little lax the first time I spoke here, so I snuck in under uh, uh, sloppy stewardship or something like that. Um, I have been in pro- I just took a two-year candle uh, February of this year. Um, thank you. So I'm two years old. Um, I'm very much, in that time I've lost a little bit over 100 pounds. Um, my life has gotten bigger than I ever imagined possible. Um, OA changed my life. OA saved my life. I have to say that from the start. I have literally changed the life that I was living with this program. I have become someone I never thought I could be. I have done things that I thought were impossible for me at one point in my life. Um, I pull on my, you know, 38-inch waist pants these days, remembering that I used to pull on 46 and 48-inch pants, and remembering going to sleep at night, crying, and wondering what I had to do to get a body like the one I have today, wondering how much work I had to put in, how much do I have to hate myself, how much do I have to insult myself, how many times do I have to say, I'm not going to the party, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm not going to eat this, I'm going to eat that, how many spreadsheets of calories do I have to make, uh, how, how many books do I have to read, how many people do I have to ask for advice. Um, I drove myself crazy for years over it. I spent high school, uh, college, and the early part of my adulthood being overweight and miserable, uh, all before I found OA. And I came into these rooms uh, at probably the lowest possible place I could be. Um, there was I, I was listening to a speaker at another meeting I went to today who shared that, uh, you know, his house had, three of the walls of his house had been blown down and the last one left standing was God. All four of... Uh, the walls of my house have been blown down. I couldn't think of anything in my life that I had left when I when I started looking for answers in OA. So my story is, um, I didn't. I don't think I had it the worst, and I know I didn't have it the best of all the people whose stories I know about in the world, and I don't know them all. I know there are people who seem to have been born with a lot more fortunes than I do. I grew up, I guess, what you'd call middle class. Um, which meant that my family had enough money that we weren't always scared about money. We weren't always working. We had time to take family vacations and camping trips. Um, but I do remember that every time I asked my parents what was upsetting them, it was always the one word, money. They worked a lot of overtime. They lived in a lot of fear. Both of my parents had their own compulsions. My mom's compulsion was food. My mom also was a rager. And my brother and I suffered physical and emotional abuse growing up. 
I don't like sharing that. I find that embarrassing. I have to share it, though, because there are people in these rooms who have that as part of their story, and I have to let them know that it's part of my story and that I know what it was like. Um, This is something that's new for me. I'm used to hearing stories where the men in households were violent and abusive, and I think that it is a, a more common thing. And I'm not used to hearing stories where the woman in the household was the abuser and the father was the enabler, but that's my story. And it comes with its own particular set of problems, including growing up in a world where I have been told that I have to be the one that makes the woman feel safe, that I have to let her have her emotional ups and downs, and I'm supposed to be the steady rock, and that I'm going to be judged by based on whether or not I love my mother, all with this kind of family secret sitting over my head. So that's part of my story. Um, I grew. I, I started to get heavy, and it was the fulfillment of a family destiny. I was actually the skinny one between me and my brother. I used to call my brother Fatso, and he used to call me Skin and Bones, and these were insults to both of us. And when I started to get heavy, the attitude in my family was, see, happens to all of us. And the magazine articles and the newspaper articles and the books came flying out of the cupboards and the offers to go to any weight loss program that I chose and the determination that the family needed to get together and go to the gym three times a week together in order to solve the problem. Um, Looking back, it wasn't really about solving the problem. It was about making sure that I was put through all of the paces they had been through to prove that there was no answer, my family was heavy, and there was no way out. And that was the story that I adopted. I believed them. I took it. It seemed like a lot of work. I was told a lot that either I had to spend every waking moment of my life dealing with my weight or accept being fat. And when I came into these rooms, I found out that actually the secret was I needed to stop dealing with my weight and I needed to start dealing with my life. Part of my story is that I ran away with the circus. Um, I I like that that's part of my story because it's kind of just, for me, the the best way to say I went completely insane. Uh, I was 30 years old. I did not have a girlfriend, which I blamed on the weight. I did not have a career, which somehow I blamed on the weight. Um, I didn't have a a tight-knit circle of friends. I didn't have any anchors. And my mother had passed away when I was in my early 20s, and my father passed away just before I turned 30. And uh, the opportunity came up to run away with the circus. And I thought, no kids, no marriage, no girlfriend, no tight circle, no job. If I can't run away with the circus, who the hell can? (laughs) So I did. I ran away with the circus, and uh, it was a wonderfully compulsive lifestyle. I share that a lot. Um, I definitely learned that I, I could work enough to handle what I was eating. Um, I went on terrific binges with the circus. There are some weekends at the circus where your job is to start working at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning and to finish working at 6 a.m. Monday morning. And you are on your feet or sleeping for that entire period of time. Um, I got very strong. It was definitely something that helped me. And uh, helped me physically. Helped me realized that I could kind of go off on my own and uh, do some some pretty worthwhile things. I got a reputation for being one of the hard workers because I was working for that binge. I could build the muscle with the work, and then I could eat whatever I wanted. Um, But I kept going crazy, and I took my eyes off my life, and I wound up involved with uh, an ex-girlfriend. And uh, again, not something I'm proud of sharing, but part of my story is that... uh, I got together with an ex-girlfriend. She told me that, called me up months later to tell me she was pregnant with my child. 
And this was my first kind of knock at the door from God that I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in my life. Um, she and I moved back here to be near my family. She had the baby. I started to help raise it. Uh, she decided that she was unhappy, and she wanted to take the baby back to be raised with her family, and I felt very strongly that I wanted to be involved in my child's life and that I could make a better living out here than I could where she was going back to. So it looked like a custody battle was in the works, and I went, uh, my, went to get all the documents in order. Here's my child support payments. Here's my uh, declaration of paternity, and here's the DNA test. Problem was, when the DNA test came back, I was not that child's biological father. And uh, I tried to stay in as long as I could, but it didn't work out the way that I had wanted it to, and it didn't work out the way I think it should have. Um, but it came to pass that I found myself waking up one day realizing I had taken my eyes off of my life to the point where somebody had come into it who had lied and manipulated me into this situation who didn't care about me, didn't care about what I cared about, was threatening me and my family. And alongside of that was this thing that had been going on while I was helping to raise this baby, this awareness I was getting that I didn't feel like I had any adultness that I could pass on to a small child. And when everything came down to it, I didn't feel like I had anything inside of me. So I went looking for answers. And I found a website uh, that listed all of the 12-step groups that met in, I think it's the Southern California area. It's a wonderful website. I've never been able to find it again. I don't know what I typed in. Um, but my browser found its way there. And the next 12-step meeting, I was looking for anything. I, I'd been advised by my therapist, maybe I needed some kind of support group. Maybe I needed some kind of 12-step group. I would have taken SLAA. I would have taken Al-Anon. I would have taken Codependence Anonymous. I would have taken anything. It so happened that the next meeting that was that was occurring was two blocks from where I lived. It's 9.30 in the next morning, and it was an OA meeting. And I said to myself, fine, I'll clean up the weight at the same time. Um, I literally did. I mean, that was, that was the truth. I came in looking for a spiritual answer to my life. I knew I was crazy when I walked in the door. And what I tell newcomers and what I'll say on this, on this podcast, and I said it the last time I spoke here... The best thing you can do is just admit you're crazy. Just give it up. I love that saying, the war is over and you lost. (laughs) You can accept it or not. Um, It's better to accept it. Came into the rooms. um, I tried to do it just auditing the program and reading the book for a while. Again, going back to those those books that my family threw at me, just read the book and you'll you'll get it. thought of, I just read the book, and actually I had a family member who, when I said I, I started to tell her I'm going to these 12-step meetings, her answer was, oh, I've read that book. <laughs> and it is different reading the book and doing the program. Um, so, I started working the program. I came in, I thought I was working the program, I was going to meetings, and then I heard people in the room say, my sponsor's directing me to share. And I heard people in the room say, I don't want to share today, but... And I heard people in the room say, I'm sharing because you have to share if you want it to work. So finally, one Friday night at a meeting at the cottages, I raised my hand and I said, Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm a compulsive overeater for the first time. And I said, I get the group therapy. It's been very helpful. I like the meetings. I get the diet. What I don't understand is why I'm supposed to do all of this work and then give God all the credit. (laughs) 
and nobody laughed the first time I said it. <laughs> and I'm a very sensitive person. All compulsives are very sensitive people. I noticed that no one laughed. I noticed that nobody came up afterwards and said, thank you for your share. Uh, and, and I went back to my house. I, I share a duplex with my family. I went back to my house. I sat in the dark, on the couch, in the living room, no TV, nothing on. And that's where my cousin, who's about 18, 19 years old, she came in to find me. She said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I said something stupid. So I'm sitting here hating myself until that feeling goes away. This is what adults do with their feelings. Um, and then I didn't come back to the room for six weeks. Uh, went through one more Thanksgiving, went through one more Christmas, went through one more New Year's. After New Year's, I knew again that I didn't have this problem licked. I was grabbing any candies that I possibly could. My eating was out of control. I couldn't go to sleep at night without a full stomach. So I started going back to the rooms. My, uh, I got the advice to do 30 and 30, which I started doing. By the end of that first week, I asked somebody to be my sponsor. We started talking about what my abstinence would look like, and my abstinence started out three meals a day with nothing in between, no eating after dinner. That was my big thing. If it was 10 o'clock at night, and there was anything in the kitchen, it had to be gone before I went to sleep. I don't know why. Probably because then I could get up early the next morning and say, oh, there's nothing in the house. I have to go out for dinner or out for breakfast. Um, and I could get really nice, big, heavy breakfasts. Um, so that was the decision. No, Three meals a day, nothing in between, no eating after dinner. And I didn't do it the first time I tried, and I didn't do it the second time. I got through about a week like that. And uh, called up my sponsor one day, and he said, so when are you going to start this abstinence we've been talking about? And it was getting towards the end of January, and I said, I'm going to start on February 2nd. <laughs> and he said, <clears throat> why February 2nd? And I said, because I've heard this phrase, it's one day at a time, so it's going to be like the Bill Murray movie Groundhog's Day. I'm just going to live that day over and over and over and over again. He said, that's very clever writing. Why don't you just stop? And February 1st, I was heading into the kitchen, and I realized that if I went to sleep instead of eating, I would have one day. So I went to sleep. It's not the most recovered thing I've ever done. <laughs> but it kept me from eating. So I went to sleep, woke up the next day, and I had one day. And I held on to that. And I went, got to go in, I got to take a chip, got to say that I'm abstinent. Then I realized I only had to do that 29 more times to get a 30-day chip. I only had to do that 30 more times to get a 60-day chip. I, got, I, was, I was doing it for the chips, really, in the beginning. I wanted the chips. I wanted to get, gather them all together. I still carry them all on my keychain. Um, and uh, that's how I started working my program. Um, I have the best sponsor in the entire world who, who listens to me complain and listens to my problems. Uh, I call him every single day, which I think is funny, because I think his instruction was, call me every once in a while and let me know how you're doing. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm a crafty person, and I'm a, uh, I'm, I want to be a writer. It's something that I'm working on right now to bring that into my life. Uh, I've been an actor and a performer. I'm pretty good at shaping the story to what I want the story to be, and if I'm talking to you once a week, you're getting a very particular version of what has happened that week that is designed to get a particular response. I started calling my sponsor every day to hold myself accountable because I will have having a perfect week up until Thursday, and then on Thursday I'm certain I'm going to be fired. And my sponsor has to hear from me every single day to be able to say, why are you suddenly going to get fired? Yesterday they were talking about giving you a raise. I won't mention the raise part if I think I'm going to get fired because I, I have a crazy addict's mind. I really do. My mind lies to me all the time. Um... My mind lies to me all the time. So um, 
that was what it was like. That's what happened. Uh, my abstinence these days, I'll share, is uh, I still do the three meals a day thing. The food plan has gotten very cleaned up. I have a list of red light foods. If you're interested, a red light food is uh, something that once you start eating it, you can't stop. So I, I always knew what they were. You know, it didn't take a lot of thinking to know what my red light foods were. It didn't take a lot. Uh, I kind of, you know, made it off the top of my head once I heard that definition. It's breads, it's pastas, it's sugary stuff. Um, I actually gave up sugar when I started my abstinence, but I didn't mean to. I just knew that if I had a... Co- I mean, my first abstinence was just three meals, and I could have whatever I wanted, and I kept eating pasta, and I kept eating sandwiches and french fries and anything I wanted, as long as it was just one meal, one plate. Um, but I knew that if I had a Coke with that plate, I wouldn't stop. So I stopped drinking sugar Cokes, and then I stopped having candies, and I knew couldn't fit anything... I couldn't have a candy on the same plate with everything else. That was not something I could do. Um, it's evolved now to where uh, my, my meal plan is... In the morning, I usually have like a breakfast burrito or a breakfast sandwich. Um, it's a very particular, like repeat, repeated thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I have the same thing pretty much every single morning. Uh, for lunch, I have a salad. Salad is 8 to 10 ounces of protein on top of as many vegetables as I like. I have yet to hear anybody say they just cannot stop eating lettuce. <laughs> and even if they said it, it's not my problem. I know when I'm done with lettuce. Um, I have that for lunch. Uh, somewhere in the middle of the afternoon, I'll have a fruit snack, and two hours later, I'll have another fruit snack, just one piece of fruit. It's usually apples, because they're easy to keep on me. And then for dinner, I will have a, a, another salad. Eight to ten ounces of protein on top of as many vegetables as I like. That is what I eat. Now, if you had asked me three years ago, I would have told you that just to sit... In my, I'm, a, I'm a computer person by trade. Just to sit at my desk all day, I would need five to 7,000 calories a day because of the bizarre genetic construction of my family of origin where we come from the Celts and from the Scots and we are genetically designed to chop down trees and then use them to kill bears. Um, so we need all of these calories to survive in the wilds of Santa Monica, California. Um, eating that meal plan. And I get one serving, I have to mention, I have this one optional thing. It's one serving of bread a day. If I feel like it, I can turn one of those salads into a sandwich, which I do every so often. But usually I'm the kind of person that saves it. I don't want to use it at lunch in case I need it at dinner. And then when dinner comes around, I'm like, eh, I don't even need it. And that saved me. That's, that's done me a lot of good. Eating that meal plan, I started uh, exercising, and I decided that I wanted to run a 5K race. So in January of 2013, I ran a 5K. And without changing my food, I then trained up and built up and ran a 10K race. And without changing my food, I then trained and built up, and I ran a half marathon in November of last year. And next weekend on March 9th, I will be running in the LA Marathon. The only change I made to my food through the entire process is if I'm on a run that goes over three hours, I will add an extra snack that was recommended by literature of runners and and what they say to take with you, and that's it. Otherwise, my food has not changed. And I want to share this because this was my morning writing. I've started a practice where I write three pages every morning. And this is what was coming up for me today because I do get asked um, about my exercise program. And I have this thought that, that is coming up more and more now that I... 
I really believe if you're a compulsive binger in one area of your life, you are an anorexic in some other area. And it has been my experience that with my personal disease, it wasn't just that I was overeating, it was also that I was completely neglecting any kind of exercise or self-care in that area. You know, I was, I was kind of being mean to the inside and outside of my body. Um, so I had to, I, I, I started getting exercise on the very simple instructions of my therapist who said, all you have to do is go get 20 minutes of physical activity three times a week. So I like to do it this way. Aaron has an exercise program. Aaron's exercise program starts on a day when he realizes that he has to get in shape now and he has to lose all of this weight. So he gets in his car and he drives to the nearest bookstore. And he spends two to three hours in the fitness section looking at every single change your life 12-week body transformation book he possibly can. They have wonderful ones written by personal trainers, written by former athletes, celebrities, and Navy SEALs. And he reads each and every, he flips through each and every one of these to try and figure out which one is going to give him the secret. One of these books has the answer. One of these books is going to save me. One of these books is going to become my new Bible and the way I live every single day of my life. So I have to be very careful about which one I pick. I can't get the false prophets. I can't, I can't get the guys who don't know what they're talking about. I need the guys who have the secret. I'll do that for two or three hours, two or three times a week. Because they get new stock in sometimes. You've got to go back and check and make sure. Um, I will go to multiple bookstores around town. I will do this research project for about two weeks. And then I will finally narrow it down to two books, one of which is very small and simple and gives you a simple set of plans. The other one has high-resolution high computer graphics of every single muscle in the human body and wants to educate you so you can make proper choices. And I will debate between these two books for another couple of weeks. And then finally, I'll let the cat out of the bag to one of my friends and say, I'm thinking about losing weight. And they will say, oh, I use this little program. And I'll say, that's the one. And I'll have to go online to buy it, but I'll order it. The book will show up, and that'll be the book that I go with. Then come the spreadsheets where I sit down, because the books always give you three choices, right? There's the fit choice, the really fit choice, and the, you know, sex god choice. (laughs) And so I have to do spreadsheets that figure out exactly which exercises I'm going to do, which way I'm going to order them, how I'm going to get them into my schedule. I have to figure out where they're going to fit. Am I going to work out before work or after work? Am I going to do leg days on Tuesdays or Thursdays? I have to do all of these spreadsheets for all three programs. And then... Each one of them comes with nutritional information. I have to figure out exactly how many calories I'm going to do if I do program one, how many calories I'm going to do if I do program three, am I going to eat five times, am I going to eat six times a day? How many of those calories are going to come from protein, carbs, or fat? I go through the whole thing. I have beautiful spreadsheets. Basically, all I have to do is tell it how many calories, and it spits out these wonderful graphs and charts. Um, Then I have to find the gym. I have to sign up for it. There's always some I have to save up for the initiation fee. I have to go and pick the perfect wardrobe that I'm going to wear when I go to it. (laughs) Then, as I've already shared, I have to pick the perfect day, which is going to be a, you know, this day is very important. This is going to go down in history as the day I changed my life. So i got to pick a good one. can't just be Thursday. Um, and then finally, somewhere around three months after I've made my resolution that I need to get my act together and get some more physical exercise, I will march into a gym at 4 o'clock in the morning armed with a printout from one of my spreadsheets of today's workout routine, which will take me about two hours to get through, and which I will meticulously mark down that I did this many reps at this many weight all the way through it. And I can keep that up for about 29 days. And then I will miss a workout because of work or because I was exhausted or tired. And once I fall out of this perfect little world that I have constructed for myself, 
There is no point in continuing. That is Aaron's workout program. Now, the workout program that God had for me is I found some shorts and a shirt that was comfortable, some sneakers. I got a change of underwear and socks. I threw those in a bag. On my lunch break, I went to the gym that was closest to my office, and I got on the lazy elliptical. That's what I call the one that doesn't make you move your arms. (laughs) I got on that, and I hit the weight loss button, which makes you work out for 28 minutes. I worked on 28 minutes. I told myself, if I'm sweating, I'm doing what's necessary. I'm giving my body a workout. When the machine told me I was done, I then went in, took a shower, changed back into my clothes, and left the gym. That's how it started. I did that three times a week. And then I decided that the elliptical wasn't going to go fast enough for me, so I moved over to a treadmill. And then I realized that I was going faster on, you know, faster and faster on the treadmill, and I thought I wanted to do a program, so I got the C25K app. And it's hard to make the treadmill change as quickly as the app makes you change tempos, so I got outside. Just started running on the beach with the rest of the people. I'm as amazed as anybody else that this worked because I spent so long in my life looking for the secret. I spent so long in my life looking for the special formula. So, the only other thing I haven't talked about yet, and I have time to do it, is God. Because I sat in that Friday meeting and I said, I don't get the God stuff. I found God while I was running. Because I didn't believe I could run. I really didn't. I used to be the guy my friends would go out and they'd say, let's go play tennis. And they'd bring their rackets and they'd go sit and they'd go and play on the tennis court and I would sit on the side smoking a cigarette wondering when we were going to be done with this nonsense so we could go eat, which is the reason I was there. I didn't think I could run. I remember being 11 years old and looking at the marathon on the news and wondering if a kid from a fat family could do it. If I could ever do that. And one day I'm out on a run, and I love it because I, 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 I find different runs, and I, I was running around the park that uh, Serenity Sunday used to happen at. And I found myself realizing that my entire life I thought I was this accidental organism. And the only way that I could ever be happy was if I could make my brain spit out certain chemicals for happiness. And the only way my brain was going to do that is if I reordered the outside world to be the perfect world that I needed to be happy. So I wasn't allowed to be happy about what I was doing in my life until I was successful in my career. I wasn't allowed to be happy until I had the girl that I wanted. I wasn't allowed to be happy until I was in the house I wanted, or the car. I wasn't allowed to be happy if somebody was doing better than me. I wasn't allowed. I had to stop those chemicals because if I, if I got happy at that point, then I'd be happy with being a loser. Nobody wants that. Um, but somehow on this particular run, I found myself realizing that whatever happiness does or does not happen, happens inside of me. That I get to be happy no matter what. No matter what the state of the world is right now. I get to be happy just running. And somehow that to me was God. My image of God is this weird... He's got that 70s perm-fro thing. I don't know why, but my God is a runner. He's that that really excited... He's this really excited guy that's just like, yes, we're running today. 
just wants me to have a good day. My image of God is this, is this guy that sits beside me, hangs out with me, puts his hand on my back, and he says, I want you to go for a run. I want you to go to a couple of meetings, do your job. You know, have some laughs today. Yeah, I want to see you in love. I want to see you have a good sex life. I want to see you have a successful career. I want you to fulfill your potential. But overall, I just want you to be happy. I want you to reach out, talk to people, have friends. And that has gotten me through so much. I uh, I talked to him, I called my sponsor when I first started reading doing step three, and I said um, so I started praying. And he said, "Good for you. What do you what are you praying for?" And I said, I, "I want God to show me what my real body looks like. You know, before my disease, before my depression and my disease and my attempts to fix everything took it over." And my sponsor said, "That sounds like a very clever way of asking to be thin." <laughs> and I said, "I do want to be thin." And he said, why don't you try asking God to know what God's will is for you and to have the power to carry it out. And I told him I didn't want to ask for that. And he said, why? And I said, I'm afraid that God's will for me is I'm going to be a happy fat guy. And he said, so this is where we really get down to it. If God wants that, can you stop him? And at the time I said yes, because I thought it was funny, and because I didn't want to say no. And that's what it comes down to. God is everything or God is nothing. You either live in God's world, or you live in God's world. That's actually it. When I look back at the story that brought me into this program, where <clears throat> I was working at the circus and I made an irresponsible choice, and the punishment was to be introduced to this beautiful little baby that I got the privilege of raising for nine months and that I got to introduce to the world in a kind and gentle way. I used to sing her to sleep at night. I loved it. And we, we discovered after a few months that when she wanted to go to sleep, she would start humming to herself and singing to herself. I got to give her that. And then I had to walk away. And that was just the way it was. That was all in my disease. I think you can be in your disease and still be heroic. You can be in your disease and still be of service to others. You can be in your disease and still have value. We're not striving to be of value. We are already of value in this program. We are all creatures created by a higher power that wants nothing but for all of us to be happy together. And it's not easy or, quote-unquote, normal what we have to do. It's no more normal for us to have to avoid our binge foods than it is for a diabetic to have to avoid sugar. The diabetic walks through the world and sees everybody in the world doing this thing, eating sugar, and, and just knows that it is their particular case that they can't eat it. And it's not a sin to eat it. Everybody else does it every day. I, I think I can't remember if it's the big book or Chuck C., but there's one point where, where one of the big speakers in AA says, there is no law of God or man says you can't take a drink. You just have to know what you are going to go through. You know what it's going to do to you. I didn't need any hints to tell me what was going to happen every time I ate bread, every time I ate sugar. I had a long period of field research about it. So for me, it's not about, oh, I'm bad if I'm out of abstinence. It's not about, oh, I failed, oh, I'm, I'm sinful. No, I just want to do better. 
I'm not striving for normal. I'm striving to do better and treat myself better. I'm striving to make healthier choices and to be honest with myself about what I've learned. I believe my, my focus in program has been, um, and, and you know, since I'm two years old and I haven't finished working the steps, I have to say somebody told me this really great thing, which is in OA, if you come in and you lose 60 pounds um, in six months, everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to know what you're doing. They want to know what your food's like. They want to know how you found the secret. You came into AA and you, lo- and, and you got six months of sobriety under your belt. Everyone would still tell you, sit down, shut up. You don't know what's going on. And it is absolutely true. I still don't know what's going on. I really don't. All I know is that my life is better when I make this choice to stop eating things that hurt me. When I make the choice to not engage in my behaviors, my life is actually better. I don't have all I want. I don't have the car I want. don't have the girl I want. don't have the house or the career I want. But I get to be okay with that today. And at some point in my life, I'm hoping to graduate to these high-class problems of having what I want. And I have to demonstrate to myself and others. I get to practice dealing with these smaller problems every day. I had to deal with the problem of don't overeat on your, you know, don't overeat. Deal with the problem of don't eat things that hurt you. Nowadays, I get to deal with the problem of how can I run for four hours without crying. Um, actually, I go ahead and cry. Um, that's another, you know, I can run while crying. I can run while laughing. Point is, I'm just out to have a run. Um, I turn it over to God as much as I possibly can. You know, that's really the only secret I've got. Take a deep breath. Relax and take it easy. Don't struggle. We find that the right answers come if we have tried this enough. But I never got anywhere beating myself up. I never got anywhere trying to turn up the volume on the shame or the self-hatred. I got somewhere by just looking at somebody who had had what I wanted asking them what they were doing, and taking their suggestions. So if you're new, it's that simple. Find somebody who has what you want and say, how are you, get, how are you getting it? And then just do it. And understand that you're going to be uncomfortable. And that's not the worst thing that ever happened to a person. So um, I'll stop now if anybody has any questions. So the question is, um, what's my daily spiritual practice? So I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I read two pages of the big book. And then I read um, For Today, uh, which is a daily meditation. Um, And then I get on my knees, and I say a specific set of prayers. And the prayers are um, the St. Francis Prayer, which is the one that starts, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Uh, The next prayer is a prayer I wrote for... um, the child that was my daughter that she God protect her and guide her to happiness love and fulfillment um, I say a prayer for my sexual sobriety because that's another program that I work and it's very important to me and it's been a problem um, I say the resentment prayer for anybody that is on my 10th step resentment list from the night before and then I say um, the third step prayer and the serenity prayer and now I'm ready to take a shower and start my day I go to, I have commitments at three meetings a week. I I am a regular at four OA meetings a week. Um, I try to get in ten minutes of meditation and ten minutes of morning writing, or three pages of morning writing every day before I get to work. I'm not perfect at it. Um, And then at night, I do a tenth step, uh, as described in the big book. Um, 
and I say all of that set of prayers again and then I go to sleep how do I stay comfortable not having what I want and not without getting complacent um not sure what, when I don't have what I want my last reaction is to sit still uh so getting complacent is usually not something that I deal with um but I I usually uh make outreach calls if I'm ever feeling any kind of unsettled feeling um I try to get out of my problem and I try to hear if anybody else has something going on um it's usually helpful uh, to hear someone else talk about something they're not getting that they want uh, for a little outside perspective to realize that me not getting what I want is not the end of the world. Um, and God has usually has uh, three possible answers to any question you're ever asking, which is uh, yes, not yet, or no, I have something better. And one of the things I actually recite to myself very often, because uh, Columbus is specifically mentioned in the big book about how he felt, you know, he knew the world was round when everybody thought it was flat. I like to call to mind this image of what if Christopher Columbus had walked into a church, scared out of his mind about getting on these boats and possibly sailing off the end of the world, and got on his knees and said, God, I need to know if I'm right. I need to know if I'm right about this. If, if this is really, you know, short distance that I'm going to get to China. Because that's what he thought he was doing. And I like to picture God looking at him going, hmm, no, but you have to go anyway. I like to picture Columbus not knowing what question he was supposed to be asking. And the question is usually, God, am I doing what you need me to do? And I just have to accept, you know, it's a, it's a practice and acceptance. It's one of the reasons I like the meditation practice. Um, if I'm holding all these things that I have to do in the day and somebody tells me I have to put down three of them I'm like oh my god which three which three of these are the least important of all these things what I like about meditation is it's like putting them all down and then saying hey which three are worth picking up again and I usually find that most of the things that I'm worried about I don't have any control over so hope that answers the question um, the question is what's my relationship like with my brother uh, he lives in a different state uh, we talk maybe every two or three months on the phone for a little bit um, I think it's good for where my family came from uh, it is an interesting um, I mean short version is uh, my father didn't get along with his family so we grew up with just my mom's family and we're used to kind of a one family system so neither one of us has any practice trying to balance which house we go to on Christmas which house we go to on Thanksgiving so you know he has a, a wife and daughters and you know he's kind of continuing the pattern of he has one family um but i i call him and i and and we have good talks and we're both involved in our own programs um so we have that in common and it's you know i'm glad that he's i'm glad that he's working it i'm glad that he's got something so the question is uh as regards to the spreadsheets and the and the plans and all of that when did i come find surrender around all of those issues um I was actually, it was suggested by one person that I start tracking all of my food. And then uh, and I got an app on my phone that tracked all the calories and counted them. And my sponsor uh, asked me to stop. And, I, and, and we talked a little bit about my pattern. My pattern, whenever I've been on any kind of count your calories thing, is if I have 2,000 calories, I can get from breakfast to dinner using only about 300 of them, and the rest of them go to dinner. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a saver. I'm like I'm saving up for the binge. I'm not going to mess with this eating shallowly throughout the day thing. Um, 
The sponsor said it's walking at the water's edge. You know, you haven't fallen in yet. But um, every time you think you're going to figure it out with your head instead of your heart, you're walking at the water's edge, and you can keep it up for a while, but eventually you're going to end up wet. So as far as I, I only weigh once a month, as far as I can get away from the numbers around my food or my weight, the happier I get. And that's my time, so thank you very much.